Well, hey, today is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is a day of celebration. Uh, If you're not familiar with Pentecost, uh, for Old Testament Israel, when we read in Scripture, it was a celebration of harvest. And at that celebration, uh, they brought their first crop that they harvested, the first fruits, and presented it to God as an offering. Uh, As a thanks offering, it's a tithe to the Lord, uh, it signified a lot of things. For us, it's a celebration of the fulfillment of God's promise that Jesus talked about. Let me show you those those scriptures. uh, In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus told his disciples this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So this was a promise of Jesus from God the Father. And then the other one in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he being Jesus, gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And so uh, we are right in the middle of talking about becoming our calling. And, and if you're new or you're visiting with us online, that's just this life that we've been invited by God to live. And in this life, it, it includes a lot of things. It's a, it's, it's a person to become. It's, it's a work to do. Uh, it, it, it's huge. So we've been talking about it for months. And we're right in the middle of it. And specifically, we're talking about how does God equip us in our calling. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit plays a huge role in equipping us for our calling, this new life in Christ. And so it's kind of perfect timing. We're in the middle of talking about uh, equipping, and then it's Pentecost Sunday where the, uh, it's, where the Holy Spirit, the, the promise of the Father came and was fulfilled on Pentecost. And so it's a perfect timing for us Uh, to just talk about the Holy Spirit and how he equips us. First, let's just go, who is the Holy Spirit? I mean, we know a lot about God the Father. We know a lot about Christ the Son. uh, But not everyone knows about the Holy Spirit. And so, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, the Godhead, along with the Father and Son. In fact, Jesus made reference to this in Matthew 28 when he gave the Great Commission. He said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is that Jesus himself is identifying that the Holy Spirit is part of this Trinity, this this Godhead. He's he's equal to, to Jesus Christ and God the Father. So, because the Holy Spirit is God, we could spend a lifetime learning, whether that be intellectually or experientially, the answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit? People dedicate their life to studying Jesus Christ. They they dedicate their life to, to studying God the Father. 
And people dedicate their lives to studying who is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, there's no way in the next 20 minutes we could completely answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, It would be foolish for me to even try. So for today, we're going to narrow it down to a small little piece of the Holy Spirit's role. And we're going to answer questions and stay with the topic of equipping. So as it relates to equipping the believer, who is the Holy Spirit? Um, So I hope that helps because uh, the Holy Spirit is way more than what we're going to talk about today. Okay, today it's just specifically in the role of equipping. So who is the Holy Spirit? I think Jesus' words are the best to start off with. Right? Um, Kind of like, it's a really bad example, but kind of like siblings. If you grew up with somebody and you lived in the same house with them their entire life... um, and you wanted to know who a particular person was, it would probably be better to ask the person who lived with them their whole life, right? They probably know who they are. And so Jesus kind of knows who the Holy Spirit is the best. And in John chapter 14, verse 16, which we just read, he said this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The reason I've chose this verse is that word advocate. Depending on your Bible translation, you could have all kinds of words in there that the Holy Spirit is called. The Holy Spirit's called a helper. He's called a counselor. He's called an advocate. He's called the spirit of truth. You say, well, can't they just pick a name? For goodness sakes. Well, it's the same with Jesus, isn't it? Depending on the role that Jesus is playing, he's called the Christ, he's called the Messiah, he's called the Son of God, he's called the Son of Man. And in biblical times, the name of somebody rarely referred to a lot of times what they did. Right? Ben uh, Ben shared last week, uh, you know, Ben is Ben Haskell. Ben is uh, dad, right? Ben, I don't know, Ben is grandfather. Pa, I don't know what your grandkids call you. Papa. He's Papa. He's currently still headmaster. So Ben has a lot of names. But it's all because uh, he's also a preacher. He was up here last week preaching to us. He has a lot of names based on what he's doing at the time and who he is in that relationship. And it's the same with God. Okay? It's not, we're not talking about all these different gods. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And that word advocate, okay, um, I'm going to get a little uh, nerdy with you for a minute. Uh, In the the original language, the Greek, okay, that word was parakletos. And it's a combination of two words, para, which means alongside. It's where we get paralegal. We get the word parallel, right, running alongside. So it's para, it means alongside, and kaleo, which means called or invited or summons. And when you put those two words together, you get the word someone called alongside to help. So, so the word that is used in the original language meant someone who is called or invited alongside to help. And sometimes that help is as an advocate. Sometimes that help is a counselor. Sometimes uh, that help is to bring you truth, to lead you and guide you in truth, which is why the Holy Spirit is called all of these names. He's called alongside to help. And some translations just say he's a helper, 
right? So the, when we answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, sent by the Father to help the believer. Okay? For, for, that's the simple understanding of who, who the Holy Spirit is. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? I mean, he comes to help, but what, is, what does that mean uh, as a helper? Does he, is he at my beck and command? Is he a slave? Uh, is he just there whenever he wants to be? He, uh, you know, who is, I mean, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, it's interesting because Jesus said he's going to give you another parakletos, another advocate, another helper, which really means what Jesus is saying is he's implying that Jesus is serving you already in this way. Which means you already have one. Jesus Christ. And so he's saying he's going to send you another one. So Jesus is going to leave, but don't worry. God the Father is going to send you someone who's doing the same things I'm doing for you. Which means he's going to remind you of the words of Christ. He's going to lead you into truth. He's, he's not going to sacrifice himself for your sins because that's already been done by Christ. But all of the work that Christ was, uh, came to the earth to do, the Holy Spirit is going to continue that in the same way, the same vein, and point to those things. Which is oftentimes why the Holy Spirit doesn't get the spotlight, which is okay. Jesus Christ was visible God, Jesus Christ gets the spotlight because he's who we saw, who, who was touched, who was observed, who was listened to, and all these kinds of things. The Holy Spirit comes along to remind us and to help us in the same way of what Jesus Christ was doing. There's a difference, though. In John chapter 14, verse 17, the next verse, it says, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and will be in you. The difference is that the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in the believer. Jesus Christ didn't live inside the believer. He was outside. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside. Jesus continues in this, this whole dialogue from John 14 through 17. It's one long conversation with the disciples. And in John 16 verses 7 through 15, he begins to explain the work of the Holy Spirit. He says this, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So he's, see, he's saying when I go, some, he's coming. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Let me pause right here. Uh, it says, the NIV says, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. Um, I don't like that translation. Okay? Because the actual word uh, in the original, again, I, ex I don't want to apologize, but I do want to apologize if I'm a little nerdy right now because I'm in school and I'm learning the Greek, so all these things just pop out to me now. So it's super exciting to me, and uh, I, some, something deep inside of me thinks it might be interesting to you. Um, but the actual word there is the word convict. And, and 
Convict means a couple of things. Convict means it's not always a negative thing. We always think convict as conviction. You got convicted. Like, conviction means to expose, to refute, and to convince. Right? If you hold on to a conviction, you've, you've been convinced of something. It doesn't necessarily mean a judicial conviction, like, oh, you're wrong. Which is the NIV interprets it in the negative way. To prove the world in the wrong. It's, it's part of that, but that's not all of it. And so it's kind of a weak interpretation to me. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to come and to expose thought process. He's going to come to refute, to show you where you're wrong, and to convince you of, of here he goes on, about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. She's going to convince you of the Lord's way, of God's thoughts and God's ways as it relates to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And sometimes that means proving you wrong. And sometimes it just means giving you a good conviction so you know this is true. It means all of those things. So that's the role. Let's continue reading. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Um, He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So this is Jesus explaining this work of the Holy Spirit. He's going to, conv- he's going to convict, which means expose, refute, and convince the world as it relates to sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's going to guide us into all truth. And he's going to make known to us what Jesus said. And make known, you and I, uh, we understand this. Make known doesn't just mean enable us to hear, but make known means to know it, to realize it, to convince us. So this is what Jesus says, hey, this is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. He also said some other things. In Acts chapter 1-8, he told his disciples this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and living within us. And he convinces us of the truth about God. God's ideas of sin, God's ideas of righteousness, God's ideas of judgment. He leads us from an internal perspective of living our life and strengthening us and guiding us into truth and making known to us the the teachings and the ways of Christ. But then there's this other component. There's There's this endowment of power to carry out the work 
that Christ has asked us to do. So it's, it's not that there's this two separate Holy Spirits. It's not this two separate things. There's this, this hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and give you uh, the, the internal um, instruction and leading and guidance and help that you need to live this life. But then he's also going to make available to you a power to do the work God has asked you to do. And if you notice, it's the same as the Great Commission. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus had said previously, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. So he's saying here, hey, the Holy Spirit is the power that you need to carry that out. That's awesome, because I don't know about you, but in my own self, there's a lot of things I can't do. There's a lot of things when I look at what Jesus asks me to do, I go, yeah, I can't do that, God. And he says, I know. That's why I give you my Holy Spirit. Because he's going to live in you, and he's going to empower you to do the things that you know you can't do. And then guess what? Guess who gets the glory when you accomplish the things that you know you can't do? You go, that was only God. Because I and myself can't do that. I want to pause for a moment here because this morning I was having this uh, conversation and I was, I was reading. Um, my mom is a... My mom, was and is a, uh, she loves history. And when I was a kid, um, middle school age, she, we lived in Connecticut, and she went on this, uh, this journey of tracing revival through New England. And she would, she would drive to towns that had old congregational churches from the 1700s and had libraries in the basement, and she would get permission and, you know, go find these old 300-year-old books and... <laughs> and open them up and document stuff. And she found some really amazing stuff. Uh, we could spend all day, I could tell you stories. Like one night this church in Connecticut was having a service, and God's presence had fallen in that service uh, 200 years ago. And people outside the community saw the church on fire, and they called the fire department, and that was horse-drawn carriage days. They they hooked up the cart, and they brought these big barrels of water out to put the fire out the church. And they couldn't understand why the people weren't running out of the building. And they went in the building to get the people out, and it was a church service going on. That the Holy Spirit had fallen so strong, the neighbors thought that the church was on fire because they saw fire, they saw flames over the, over the building. Overnight, the next day, the bars were empty in the church as people began to repent and ask God to forgive them. As they came to the altars and crying out through the night, it records that uh, people living on Main Street, uh, you know, then they didn't have air conditioning or electricity. They slept with their windows open. And they, two, three in the morning, they would hear people all of a sudden just start crying out, asking for God to forgive them because the Holy Spirit just, just crazy stories like this, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, so all that to say is this. I'm really getting ahead of myself. I'm going way off track. I'm sorry. Um, 
We don't see a lot of that today. Right? We don't see a lot of that today. And there's an element uh, in our lives when it comes to spiritual things. Um, let me ask you this morning, if you know those, those who are, how are you saved? By what? By grace through faith. So it's the faith given you that you realize the grace that God has given you that determines your salvation. It's you're saved through grace by faith. So it's your faith that unlocks, so to speak, uh, and we can argue whether you're a Calvinist view, Armenian, all those kinds of things, whether God gave you the grace or where did the grace come from, and we're not going to do that. We're just, it's by faith, which is, it's not by works. You can't earn your salvation. You can't do certain things and say, well, because I accomplished this, I'm now saved. So how do you think the Holy Spirit is unleashed? The same way. So when we live in a society that doubts the work of the Holy Spirit and causes you to doubt the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work is then quenched in your life because you don't have faith anymore. See the tie-in? We'll get there at the end of the service. Power to proclaim. When you're sitting there and you're scared and you say, I can feel, God wants me to do this. You can feel your heart, you know, you start getting clammy, your heart starts pounding, you say, God, I can't do that. I'm not capable, I'm not a good enough speaker, I'm not intelligent enough, I don't know enough, I blah, blah. And God says, I know, trust me. Have faith that I'm asking you to do this and that my power will be there when you step out. That's the power to witness that God is talking about here, that Jesus is talking about here, that the Holy Spirit lives in us and gives us the power to do what we know we can't do. And it requires, what it requires from you is faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, uh, it's a part of the, this question we're asking, what does the Holy Spirit do? So we said, hey, the Holy Spirit is a helper, helps us live this life. The Holy Spirit is an empowerer. And the Holy Spirit here in chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's talking about the, how the Spirit, Holy Spirit works through us. The manifestation, the visible part is a manifestation is given for the common good. To one, there might be given the spirit, um, through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and I don't mean gifts like cash or a new car. The Holy Spirit gives ability, uh, talents, skill sets, gifts, 
uh, to believers to be used for the common good. And we're going to, when we, after we get off through equipping, we're going to dive into what are these things? What is this? What are, what's prophecy? What's miraculous powers? What's laying on of hands? What's the, in Romans, there's a whole other list. Uh, gift of administration, the gift of, there are all of these gifts, these special abilities. Some are supernatural, some are, are not supernatural. But God gives these things to us to be used for the common good. So the Holy Spirit is an equipper of gifts. And you don't get to choose which gift you have. The Holy Spirit chooses the gift. Right? All these are the work of the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one as He determines. Which is why we never despise who we are. God has created us this way. God has gifted me this way. I'm going to use what God has given me and how He's made me and give it back for, for His good. The Holy Spirit determines. So, the Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts and abilities. That's what the Holy Spirit does as it relates to equipping the believer. Final question. How do I, re- how do I receive the Holy Spirit? How does the Spirit come to live in me? Right? Because I don't know about you, so far the Holy Spirit is super attractive. Right? Right? Like, when I read this, you've heard it a million times, maybe you've thought it yourself. The Church, the Bible, is just a bunch of rules. It's like a big rule book i got to follow. I don't want to live my life trying to follow all the rules and be a good boy or girl. Like, that's difficult. Well, guess what? God gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live this way. So he's a helper. He comes and he helps me live this way. He helps me be holy and righteous and all those things before God. That's, that's his work. He leads me in these things. I could use all the help I, I could get. I say two people nod and like, the rest of you are good? Like, you're that good? Like, you, you, you got this down. Like, Right? No, we all need help living this. Right? This, is, this isn't easy stuff. This isn't like, oh, you know, maybe I should, what should I choose? Should I watch Netflix or, or Disney today? Like, it's tough stuff here. The Holy Spirit comes and helps us. He's super attractive. And then I want to be empowered. Right? Don't you want to be empowered? Everyone likes to feel empowered. Like, man, I'm not only living this stuff. When I, when, when I go to work and do the job, I'm like, on, on Red Bull can't touch this. Right? Like, I'm empowered. God has charged me and given me what I need to, to get this done. So, how do I receive this Holy Spirit? First of all, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. And let me... Let me show you a few scriptures. In John chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus rose from the dead, meaning he accomplished uh, the work that God the Father sent him here to do, says this, and with that, he breathed on them, his disciples, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 20, verse 22, after Jesus did the work that he came to do, he gave his disciples the Holy Spirit. 
okay? Peter preached this on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. This is, it's a whole sermon, Acts chapter 2. He, Peter stands up and he's preaching to the crowd. And Peter replies this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. We've heard that preached. I hope you've heard that preached. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you repent and, are, and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if any of you have ever given your lives to the Lord in this way, you know that when, when there's something in you that's driving you to say yes to God, uh, whether we all experience this differently, uh, maybe it's just intellectually, you just know this is right. Maybe something in your heart, you feel it. Maybe, maybe you're trembling like, oh my God, I'm scared out of my mind. Why am I scared out of my mind? Like, we all experience this differently. But when you give over, something changes inside of you. You begin to think differently. You see the world differently. You're still you. It's not like you have some pseudo-personality and some spirit comes in and overtakes you and you're not you anymore. You're still you, but all of a sudden, things just don't look the same anymore. You, don't, you hear things differently. You process things differently. It's because you received this Holy Spirit into your life. He's living in you now, and, and you see the world differently. You hear the world differently. You think differently. So it comes at salvation. But what's all this the empowerment and the filling, because we see a lot of believers who are saved who aren't necessarily uh, um, manifesting in their life gifts of the Spirit, nor powered by the Spirit, any of those kinds of things. Well, the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, in the beginning, uh, in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning the disciples and... and, and um, not the lesser disciples. There's about 120 of them. People, just like, like the original 11, along with a bunch of others who believed in Christ. There was about 120 of them. They were all together in one room. Um, and they were just together, praying and whatnot. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let me point out a difference here. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples, and then on Pentecost they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they had the Holy Spirit already in their lives. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered for a specific task and, and purpose. And you know what happened? They began to speak in other tongues. And if I don't have the slides here, but if you continue to read in chapter 2, what you find is the, it, they leave and they go outside in the city and they're speaking in these tongues. They have no clue what they're saying. But people from other countries who happen to be in the city hear the gospel being preached in their native tongue. We all know that that is supernatural, right? I can't just start speaking 
in something I don't understand, yet you understand it clearly. That's a, that's a supernatural thing. And as a result, a huge crowd gathers. And Peter stands up and preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord that day. So the Holy Spirit filled them and empowered them and gave them the supernatural ability which resulted in the work of God being accomplished. So the Holy Spirit comes to empower us and to fill us. And that happens when we, when we step out and we say, Yes, Lord, I want to do your work, but I in myself am not capable. The back... I'm sorry, man, I'm just preaching today. The back story behind this is these disciples... It was known in the entire country that they were followers of Jesus who was just crucified and put to death. The last thing they wanted to do was to stand out on the city square and preach the gospel because they thought if they put Jesus to death, they're coming after us too. Yet somehow, some way, they're all together in this one room hanging out. The Holy Spirit empowers them. They go out. This crowd appears, Peter stands up, he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved. And on top of that, uh, the next day or two or whatnot, Peter and John pray over a lame man. He is, he is miraculously healed. Again, crowds gather, the gospel's preached, people believe and are saved. And this time, the same court that that put Jesus to death is ticked off. They are ticked. And they say, yo guards, go get those guys. We want to talk to them. Bring them in here. Now, at that point, I'd be scared. Because they just killed Jesus, and, and, and now they've dragged me in here. I know what's coming. I'm going to read you what happens. This is what happens Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I thought Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on him. I thought Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You see this continual filling, right? That when there's a moment that needs to happen for the Lord, when there's a, when there's a carrying out the work of God, that the Holy Spirit comes and fills and empowers the believer. And this, this is the term that Scripture uses, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and that means just the empowerment of the gifts giving, the boldness, all these things. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. I can, can you imagine? You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And he's the stone that you rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized these guys were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
My favorite story in all of Scripture. They were ordinary, unschooled men, and they stood before the Supreme Court of the day and shocked them. They did better than any lawyer, than any advocate, than any lobbyist. These random nobodies from the, from the fishing community of Galilee stood up and silenced the high court of the day because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not because they were awesome. And can I tell you, church, today that God will work through you and God will use you not because you're awesome, but because you are common, ordinary folk. That's why God will use you. You don't have to be awesome for God to use you. You have to believe that God will use you right where you are. We receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. We are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit when we're doing the work of God. And then we, we should seek a life of continually being filled. And this comes up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's drawn this comparison, not saying that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you should act like a drunk person. Okay? That's not what he's saying. He's making the comparison that anybody here who has ever been drunk or under the influence of a substance knows that it alters your mind. You think different. You relax. You whatever, right? And, and you pray and hope that the things you say when you're drunk, people don't hold against you. Right? What he's saying here is the Spirit does the same way. When the Spirit fills you, you think different. You see different. But it's not the same as drunkenness. That's the analogy he's drawing, this mind-altering kind of uh, environment. But he says here, be filled. And again, a little Greek nerdy thing. We all know in English there's present tense, there's future tense, and there's past tense, right? This word filled in the Greek means a continuous action which Greek can tell timeline. We, we, English, we, it's different. So he's saying, be filled continuously with the Spirit, is what he's saying here. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a one and done. Checked that off the list. Christian said yes to Jesus, read my Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? That's, that's not what God is saying. He's saying, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That this is something we should seek. To have the Holy Spirit as a constant companion in our life. To, we know he's there. Comes at salvation. But this, this filling, and the analogy, uh, a couple weeks ago we watched a course on Alpha about the Holy Spirit. It's like a sponge. Right? Now a sponge can be dry, you lay it on the side. Hard, crusty, uh, there's no water in it. And as you put the sponge in, you can dunk it in the... Have you ever dunked a sponge in the water and pulled it out and it's still dry and crusty? Right? Because it has to soften. 
the edges get a little wet first. And then as that gets wet, it kind of slowly starts working itself in. And at some point, uh, the water can be in the sponge, and, the, spon- and uh, the, the sponge can be in the water, and the water can be in the sponge at the same time. And that's what God wants for us as it relates to the Holy Spirit. If you continually seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit and set your heart and your affections on God and the things of the Spirit, those dry, crusty edges start getting soft and you start being sensitive to God and hearing things. And the more you do, it just starts working in, working in, working in until you're a person who's just always filled with the Holy Spirit. You're in the Spirit and the Spirit's in you. It's like a sponge. That's what God desires for our life. Uh, Sean, the team can come up. Let's wrap this up. It's a hot one out there anyway. It's too hot to be outside. It's nice, it's nice and comfortable in here. God the, Father, uh, God the Father sent God the Holy Spirit to equip us. And he equips us by being a helper. He equips us Uh, by empowering us. Sometimes that's with uh, just a confidence, uh, a strength that we know not of. Sometimes it's with supernatural things. Sometimes it's with a gift or an ability that we didn't have on our own. And our aim as followers of Jesus should be to live by the Spirit. You see that encouragement a lot in Scripture. That just means to be continuously filled, seeking to to be in the Spirit and the Spirit be in you. And this means allowing the Spirit to work in us and through us. To follow the Spirit's leading and guidance, to, to allow the Spirit to empower you by faith. Faith is required. If, if, you, if you say, hey, I'd love to be filled with the Spirit, it requires faith. It requires faith. When we're living a life full of the Spirit, our struggles with sin, our struggles with uh, evil or selfish desires, uh, our struggle diminishes. Scripture talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit of the Spirit, right, but the fruit of the flesh... And so the more that you pursue, if you're struggling with sins in your life, stuff in your mind, you say, man, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but when we purpose our heart and our mind towards, the, uh, towards God and the Holy Spirit, our struggle with these things get less and less and less. And so today, the, the, the team has come up because I want to end the service with a song in the midst of that song, I, wanna, I, wanna invi- I want to offer an invitation. And the invitation is to just receive the Spirit today. And for some, you might need to invite Jesus into your life to be your Savior and to be your Lord. And say, you know what? I've lived far from God. Because the, the Spirit comes with salvation. The Spirit's not given apart from salvation. You can't receive the Holy Spirit without receiving Jesus Christ. 
And so you may just need to say, Lord, I surrender. You, you've been knocking at my door. You've been hounding me. Pastor's preaching. I'm feeling like he's preaching just to me. I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he read my mail. Did Alexa tell him? You know, what? what like, what is it? Let me tell you, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's knocking at your door and he's saying, hey, receive Jesus Christ. Stop fighting. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he'll come in and those hard, crusty sponge that you are will start to soften and you'll understand the things of God. And if that's you today, you don't have to come up here and there's no magic spell. There's no special actions you have to do as far as uh, an altar call, those kinds of things. But you can sit right in your seat and you can say a prayer. And you can simply say, Lord, I believe what was said today. And I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need you. And I'm done with living this life of sin. I want to start living a new life with you. And so I ask you to come into my life and to save me from my sin and be my Lord. And if you do that today and you say that prayer, the the Holy Spirit is promised to you. If you pray with your heart and that's your heart's desire, you will feel different walking out of this place. Or if you're online, you'll feel different from this moment on. But if you've already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you this morning, if there's something's been said here today that you said, Lord, I, I know that the Holy Spirit wants to come and remind me and empower me and give gifts and that I should be constantly full of the Holy Spirit and man I just haven't focused on that much I, I, I want to be filled with the Spirit I'll just say, we say you open your heart today and you say a prayer of faith just come Holy Spirit So I'm going, to say, I'm going to pray that and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And during that song, I just challenge you and encourage you to pray that simple prayer of come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, would you just fall fresh on us today? We're in such need of you in every aspect of our new life. And today we come before you and we ask, with all that's within us, would you come? Would you fill us? Would you saturate us so that you are fully in us and we are fully in you? We give you permission to move however you'd like to move in our life. 
Would you just come?